Thank you, Azure and Matt and everyone that participated in our service this evening. As has, has been said, I echo thank you for coming back tonight. And I know it's not the nicest night to be out, so I appreciate your being here. But having said that, uh, I don't want you to feel that if the church doors are open, you have to be here. Uh, you need to know what the weather is like where you are. And sometimes in different parts of the county, it's different. Uh, if it's treacherous, stay home. We wouldn't like to see you in an accident. It's a tough call. I, I was driving around at 3.30 uh, to see what the roads were like. And right about 3.30, it was really snowing pretty heavily here. The roads were covered and uh, got down 241. And just in front of the greenhouses there, there was a car that was flipped over. So uh, it was uh, pretty nasty there. And that's one of the difficulties trying to decide what it's going to be like a few hours from then, but I thought it was going to let up and well, we decided to have church. But uh, if, as I say, where you are, you know, your driveway, your condition, uh, if you need to stay home, feel free. Please stay home and uh, don't risk uh, body and life uh, in order to be here. Uh, I would uh, say that uh, I try to make the decision for morning worship by 7 o'clock. So if you get on the website, and as Pastor Dave said, we'll have either we're having or not having, so there's no confusion as to whether or not the decision is made yet. Uh, you'll see that either we say we're having church or not having church, unless I don't think it's questionable at all. Uh, but, uh, you know, we'll be posting if it's questionable whether we'll be having church or whether we're not. Try to make that by 7 o'clock, just to show you how my mind works. I'm much quicker to uh, cancel Sunday school because of all the teachers that, that come and I think they feel like they ought to be here and so uh, I'm pretty quick to cancel Sunday school much more than morning worship where people can make the decision to come or not to come. An evening service is always tricky because of the uh, falling temperatures and all of that which I'm sure you understand. Tonight we're looking at the study of a dysfunctional family and if you look at the last page of your handout Pastor Dave did that for uh, the children. If you want to be young at heart, you can follow that uh, outline too. Uh, there's no age limit on it, but that's the outline. And the uh, obviously Roman numerals, etc. correspond to the main outline. But if you have children, you want to help them through this, uh, you're welcome to do that. This is his artistry. So we are appreciative of his talents and abilities and his desire to try to illustrate uh, the messages of Joseph. Tonight, as a background, we look at the study of a dysfunctional family. I have, in order to appreciate the circumstances of Joseph's life and his reaction to them, one must first develop a view of his home life. Certainly, our upbringing has a lot to do with the kinds of people that we turn out to be. And all through, and although he grew up in, I put in quotes, a Christian home, obviously it's Old Testament, before Christ. But the idea here is it's a godly home. It's one in which not only the parents professed faith in God, but they, they really were uh, people of God. But having said that, Joseph's home life was filled with tension, heartache, and retribution. Joseph's family would easily be described as dysfunctional. That's helpful to, to realize because I think sometimes we can be pretty idealistic in our 
thinking about Christian homes. Not all Christian homes are the same. They have their challenges. And not all Christian marriages are healthy. Not all relationships between parents and children are necessarily what they ought to be. So just because a family is quote-unquote a Christian family doesn't mean they don't have their issues. And you may have been brought up in a Christian home in which you're carrying some pretty severe baggage. That even though mom and dad knew the Lord, maybe you didn't have the kind of home life that you would have wished. Uh, Maybe you've experienced some things that have been extremely painful. One does not have to just grow up in a secular home to have gone through some of those kinds of experiences. Certainly, Joseph's life helps us to realize that. Joseph's childhood would have great bearing on the circumstances throughout the rest of his life. So the theme tonight is a consideration of the animosity that his brothers had for Joseph. Key verse, Genesis 37.4 And his brothers saw that their father loved him, that is Joseph, more than all his brothers, and so they hated him and could not speak to him on friendly terms. That was a huge impact on Joseph's life in his younger years, his brother's hatred for him. So we want to look at first the source of Joseph's brother's animosity towards him. Why did the brothers hate Joseph? This is not exhaustive tonight. There's other material in Genesis that we'll get to. We're working our way through Genesis chapter 37. And in that chapter, we find out that the brothers hated Joseph because he, that is Joseph, was Jacob's favorite. Genesis 37, 3. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his sons. If you remember the scripture, uh, Jacob's name was changed to Israel. That was God's blessing and direction on Jacob's life. He was called Israel, and then he had 12 sons. And that's where we get the 12 tribes or 12 sons of Israel. They are the 12 sons of Jacob. But I would point out to you that in the text, in verse 3, Jacob is not referred to as Jacob. He's referred to as Israel to show us that we're talking about a time in Jacob's life in which he would have had a right relationship with God in the sense that he was God's chosen one and that he was actually doing the will of God. We're talking about Israel here. And Israel, Jacob, loved Joseph more than all his sons. Now, why was that? Why was Joseph Jacob's favorite? Well, first, Joseph was Jacob's favorite son because he was born to Joseph later in life. Genesis 37.3 Now, Israel loved Joseph more than all his sons because he was the son of his old age. So, Jacob is now an old man and he's able to have this son. And that's one of the reasons that he loved his son, Jacob. Now, you, if you know that your Bibles, you realize that later there's going to be another son born. That's Benjamin. Well, Benjamin also holds a very special place in Jacob's heart because Benjamin is born of Jacob even later in Joseph's life. Secondly, Joseph uh, was 
also Jacob's favorite son, because he was born to Jacob's favorite wife. So the home life gets more complex. Jacob loved Rachel more than he loved Leah. He starts out with two wives. And the reason for that is, if you remember the story, uh, Jacob goes to live with uh, Laban. And uh, he falls in love with Rachel and he wants to marry Rachel. But Rachel's younger than Leah. And so Laban thinks that Leah should be married off first. And so he deceives. Laban deceives Jacob. Jacob thinks he's going through a wedding ceremony in which he's marrying Rachel, but in fact, he actually marries Leah. And, uh, of course, in the morning it's found out that uh, he's got Leah and not Rachel. And so he works for seven more years, and then he marries Rachel, the one that he really loved, the one that he really wanted to marry in the first place. Well, eventually, there are more wives that come along, but right now it's, it's uh, Jacob, uh, uh, Rachel, and Leah, and he loved Rachel more than he loved Leah. Genesis twenty nine thirty one. Now the Lord saw that Leah was unloved. That's a difficult thought as we think about this family. That it's not just that Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. He actually did not love Leah. He didn't have that kind of affection for her. Now, imagine, ladies, being married to your husband, and your husband has another wife, and you know, deep down inside, that he loves her, and he doesn't love you. Now, think of the interaction that would take place with the other wife, with the husband. So in Genesis 29:34, it's she, that's Leah, conceived again and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will become attached to me because I've borne him three sons. So Leah has three sons before Rachel has any children. And she thinks that this is going to win Jacob's heart over. Well, it doesn't. It doesn't. B, after a lengthy process, after Jacob had taken two additional wives, and after ten sons and one daughter had been born to Jacob from his other three wives, Rachel finally gives birth to Joseph. Genesis 30, 22 through 24. Then God remembered Rachel, and God gave heed to her, opened her womb, so she conceived and bore a son, and God said, God has taken away my reproach, and she named him Joseph. See, there was tremendous animosity demonstrated among Jacob's wives. First, the wives resented each other. When Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sisters. So there was jealousy, there was animosity too. They taunted each other relentlessly. And Rachel's name made Bilhah, conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. So Rachel said with mighty wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister, and I have indeed prevailed, and she named him Naphtali. So what happens here is Leah has been bearing all these children. Rachel hasn't been bearing any children. So Rachel says to 
to Jacob, here, you take my servant and you have children from my servant. They're going to be counted as my children. So she gives Bilhah, her servant, to Jacob in order to father children. Well, she becomes pregnant. She has a child, names him Naphtali, and says, now I've prevailed because I've got a child from my servant. So what does Rachel do? Rachel, excuse me, what does Leah do? At this point, Leah's not having children. So she gives Jacob her servant and says, father children with my servant. So you can see what a mess this is all turning out to be. And this is the beginning of the nation of Israel. Three, they bartered for Jacob's affections. Now, in the days of wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, is it a small matter for you to take my husband? And would you take my son's mandrakes also? So Rachel said, therefore, he may lie with you tonight and return for your son's mandrakes. So it appears that Jacob, loving Rachel more, slept with her more often than he did with Leah. Verse 16, when Jacob came in from the field in the evening, then Leah went out to him and said, you must come to me, for I have surely hired you with my son's mandrakes. So maybe they lived in separate tents or whatever the case may be. But says, I, I bought you. You belong to me tonight. Now, now, think about all this. Kind of a strange home life to be sure. Application. A. We must be diligent in dealing with our children not to esteem one child above another. B. We need to be alert to circumstances that could easily lead to our favoring one child above another. We don't live in a society where we have multiple wives. But we do live in a society in which divorce is prevalent and where there are mixed marriages. And there are situations, of course, where people lose their spouse, they die, and they remarry, and they have children by, uh, by them. And so it's not uncommon for households to consist that have children in them from various families, not having the same mother, not having the same father, that is a challenge. That is a challenge. That, that these children are going to be treated fairly. They're going to be treated alike. That they are going to be loved alike. We need to understand the challenges that are before us. Secondly, the brothers hated Joseph because Jacob openly demonstrated his favoritism towards Joseph. Genesis 37.4 And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him. Number one, Joseph was Jacob's favorite child. Verse three, now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children. That is the commentary of the word of God. It's not just perceived. It's not just that the brothers had low self-esteem and they looked at Joseph and said, well, no, Jacob loves him the best. You, you're, the, you're the favorite. Sometimes there can be misunderstandings in families. Sometimes children can feel unloved when they're not 
or children can think that their parents are showing favoritism to one when they're not. There are misconceptions, to be sure, but this is not one of them. This was real. Jacob really did love Joseph more than his other children. That's the commentary on the text. And as bad as that is, he didn't pull any punches about it. Everybody knew it. Everybody understood it. They could see it. And there were a couple of demonstrable ways in which that was shown. The first is this coat of many colors. Number two, Jacob manifested his favoritism towards Joseph in supplying him with a coat of many colors. Verse 3. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age and he made him a coat of many colors. The significance of that in the Old Testament economy was this would have been an incredibly expensive garment. It was difficult in that day and age to be dyeing garments of different colors and putting them together. So this was a coat that was unique. It demonstrated a lot of time, a lot of effort, and a lot of expense. It's like having one child dressed in hand-me-downs and the other child wears nothing but designer clothing. I mean, every time he walked around, he had this coat on that screamed the fact that he was different from his brothers. It didn't go over very well. We just had Christmas. Imagine if you would that you have 12 children and you spend $5 on 11 of them and then the other child you spend 600 bucks on. Do you think there might be a little jealousy there? you think that might just create a little bit of tension in the home? Destroy Christmas a little bit? That's the home life of Joseph. As bad as that is, this is worse. Number three. Jacob manifested his favoritism towards Joseph and protecting him as opposed to safeguarding the lives of Joseph's brothers. Now, if you remember, the reason that Jacob goes to live with Laban is he's fleeing from Esau. There was the period of time when Isaac was dying. And he was going to bless Jacob and Esau. And he was going to bless them with a birthright. Well, uh, Esau sold his birthright to Jacob. And then Jacob deceived his father and his father blessed Joseph rather than blessing Esau. And so, uh, excuse me, he blessed uh, Jacob rather than uh, blessing Esau. And so what happens is Jacob flees to live with his mother's brother, which was Laban. And while he's there, of course, he's working. He's been there for a period of 14 years. He's got these two wives, got the children. Now he's coming back to the promised land. And he's going to run into his brother again, Esau. And he's afraid of what Esau's going to do. Because Esau hated him because he stole the birthright. That takes us to Genesis 32. And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, We came to your brother Esau, 
And furthermore, he is coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. (laughs) He's out for your hide, Jacob thinks. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. What was he going to do? This army's coming against him. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two groups and two, two companies. For he said, if Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the company which is left will escape. So he divides them into two groups, putting a great distance between them. He sends out the first group so that when Esau comes against this first group, he can find out if Esau is going to wipe them all out or not. So the first group are sent on a suicide mission to see what's going to happen. The second group is held back so that that first group is attacked. The second group can flee in safety. Now, Genesis 33, 1. Then Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming, and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two maids. And he put the maids and their children in front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph last. So the sons of the servants, they're out there and and, and they get the first wave. And then it's the sons of Leah. And then finally, back here where it's safe, is Joseph and Rachel and Jacob. He was willing to sacrifice those children in order to save Joseph. Now think about that. How would you like to be in that first ranking? And it's obvious when they look around what's going on. We're second class citizens. We're we're not... Sons of Leah or Rachel, we're sons of the servants. And then the sons of Leah, they're not like the sons of of Rachel. Well, hatred is what happens. Application. We need to be aware of actions that could easily be perceived as esteeming one child above another. We need to realize the degree of resentment that occurs as a result of favoritism. And we need to keep in mind that in this instance, the favoritism was not merely perceived but real. That's important. It's just not that they saw things that weren't real. They saw things that were very real. Not just in the sense of giving them gifts, but even caring about their life. Joseph was very, very concerned about sparing, excuse me, Jacob was very, very concerned about sparing Joseph's life more than his other children. Two, the manifestation of Joseph's brother's hatred toward him. Verse 4, when his brethren saw their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. The brothers hated Joseph. Note that the hatred which was a result of Jacob's favoritism was not directed against Jacob, but Joseph. When his brethren saw their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him. They hated Joseph. They took it out on Joseph. Now that's interesting. Because it wasn't Joseph's fault. It wasn't Joseph's fault that he was born later in life. 
And it wasn't Joseph's fault that he was born of Jacob's favorite wife. And there's nothing in the text to hint at the fact that Joseph went and asked of his father, would you give me a coat that's unlike any of my brothers? There is no hint that Joseph is creating this distance. It's Jacob that's doing this, but Joseph is bearing the brunt. They hate him. Now think about that. How would you like to be the recipient? It may seem like a great privilege in the beginning, but as as you think about the family dynamics of it, and you think about the way in which you're treated so much better than than the others, that, that can be problematic. That can be difficult. Quite frankly, maybe I shouldn't be so frank, but in my home, in my home that I grew up in, one of the things that I was very much aware of is that my parents treated me differently than they treated my brother. And the primary reason for that is my brother wasn't making a profession of faith and wasn't living the kind of life that my parents approved of. And I was. And they made it very clear that they were unhappy with him and they were pleased with me. To ways, quite frankly, I think actually proved to be harmful to my brother. Now, my brother loved my dad and my brother and I got along, but he always talked about me being the favorite and all these things. And I think, as he thought about it, that was probably true. Now, in my parents' defense, I think if you had asked them, they would have said, no, 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 he's not the favorite. I love all my children. And they were trying to demonstrate disapproval for one, approval for another. But I'm just telling you, it's problematic. It's problematic. So, the brothers hated Joseph. But there was a stronger word for hatred in Hebrew than this one. This word has the force of resented. It was demonstrated by their not being able to talk with him without getting into an argument. King James could not speak with him peaceably. NIV could not speak a kind word to him. NAS could not speak to him on friendly terms. They didn't get along. They didn't get along. However, that hatred grew. In the beginning, they couldn't get along. But as time went on, they became more and more distant. As time came along, there were more and more issues. And what was the straw that broke the camel's back was a dream that Joseph had. That the brothers were going to bow down to him. And not just the brothers, but but his father would bow down to him. It was a prophetic dream of the time that Joseph is going to be in 
Egypt. And we can talk about whether he should have shared that dream and all those kind of things. But the point is, once that dream comes, that's the straw that breaks the camel's back. Because in essence, Joseph is communicating, not only am I Jacob's favorite son, I'm God's favorite son. And that was too much. That was too much. And they hated him even more. Hey, it can be very instructive and informative to take note of what it is our children fight about. Sometimes it's good just to listen. Maybe you want to stop children when they fight immediately. Sometimes I think it's good as a parent to sit back and just take it in for a moment. What are the kinds of things that they are fighting about? What, What are the issues? It can be very instructive as we listen to our children and the things that they say. If we have more than two children, we need to be very conscious of a couple children continually ganging up against one or two. That can be very difficult in a family, especially when you have uneven numbers of children. You have older children spaced out with younger children. You know, if somebody's always on the outside, that's a problem. If somebody's always getting picked on, that's a problem. These are issues. One of the things that can be very helpful in uh, a, a marriage relationship, husband and wife, it's good for husbands and wives to be honest with each other and open. Because sometimes we can do things that we don't even see. Sometimes we can make decisions in which, over a period of time, it seems like we're really favoring one child over another. It's good for husbands to say to their wife, you know, Sometimes it seems as though, or a wife to say to her husband, sometimes it seems as though. Now, having said that, one of the things I I think we need to be also very honest about is that sometimes we are closer to one child than we are to another. Uh, sometimes a child is closer to their mother or closer to their father. Sometimes you have a rapport with one child that you don't have with another. You, you can't necessarily get beyond all of that. But you can be very, very careful that in that rapport, you are trying to be a good father, a good mother to all your children, providing for all of their well-being, meeting all of their needs, and certainly seeking to protect them all and not just one. But I think the greatest lesson to be learned out of this dysfunctional family is that when there is animosity towards anyone, it makes it far more difficult to learn from them as a spiritual leader. It was tough for Joseph 
to try to communicate what God was doing because they didn't want to hear it from Him. One of the things we need to be aware of is if, if, if our children hate us, that's a strong word, if our children dislike us, if there are issues in which we are at odds, it becomes really difficult to try to instill godly values into them. Because they turn us off. They don't want to hear it from us. The inconsistencies, the fighting that goes on in the home is remarkable. I'm going to fast forward here because it's a great story, but it's going to take me 12 weeks to get there. So I want to make the point now, and I'll make it 12 weeks from now and you'll forget it by then. And, and one of the things that strikes me about Joseph is he's one of the very, very few patriarchs that has only one wife. And he has only two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And he says he's well satisfied. Now, he's the richest man next to Pharaoh. And he has power. And in the culture and in the society, the natural thing would have been for him to take many wives and have many children. He decides he's going to have one wife and two children. Why? I think it can almost all be explained because of his upbringing. Joseph knew what it was like for his father to have all these wives and all these children. And Joseph, in his old age, says, not for me. I'm not going there. I'm not doing that. It had a profound effect upon him. So, thirdly, the venting of the brothers' animosity. The animosity grew to such a level that the brothers wanted to kill Joseph. Uh, for the sake of time, I'm going to read over this story because I'm going to come back to it at a later date. But, in essence, what happens is his father, Jacob's father, sends Joseph out to check on his brothers. And he's to come and give them a report. Well, he gives a report, and he's honest in that report, and it's not tattletaling, it's what his father asked him to do. And they are upset with him. In verse 20, Now then come and let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. And so, they decide that they're going to kill him. What the brothers actually end up doing is selling Joseph into slavery. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him and cast him into some pit. And we will say some evil beast has devoured him. We shall see what eat will come become of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. And Reuben thought he was going to come back and rescue them out of the pit. But what happens in the meantime is that uh, a caravan is coming by on the way to Egypt. And the brothers decide to get him out of the pit and sell him into slavery. Verse 26. Uh, well, verse 25. They sat 
down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. And after all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So in mercy, they said, Well, he is our brother. Let's keep him alive. But let's sell him into slavery. And they do. They do. And that's how Joseph ends up in Egypt. Application. Christian homes are not perfect homes. Our upbringing has tremendous bearing upon the events and circumstances of the rest of our lives. Our upbringing can explain some of the reasons for our actions, but should never be used to excuse our actions. I think that's a a very important lesson. They can explain our actions. They should never excuse our actions. On, On one level, we need to understand... Why the brothers might have done such a thing. We need to understand how it came to pass that they would be so angry with Joseph. That they think they're doing the the kind thing by not killing him. And they're going to spare his life and just sell him into slavery. It doesn't excuse what they've done. But it's helpful to understand It's helpful to understand the misery and heartache that people have that have been brought up in Christian homes. We need to understand the turmoil, the the inner frustrations that people have that their parents have violated them. An incestuous relationship in a home. We need to understand why people can really hate their parents or want nothing to do with them. We know we should forgive. We know all of that. But, and it doesn't excuse the behavior, but it helps us to understand why it is sometimes that people struggle with the thoughts, with the attitudes, with a sense of being loved. One of the greatest images in the Word of God is God our Heavenly Father. And one of the reasons we need to to really be good parents is because what we learn about God, the Heavenly Father, we learn primarily from our earthly father. And so we should, as much as we can, demonstrate the kind of character that our Heavenly Father has in relationship to our children so that they can better trust their Heavenly Father. They better understand that wonderful image and metaphor. Three, our upbringing can explain some of the reasons for our actions, but should never be used to excuse our actions. Number four, hatred, when not repented of, can lead to the most heinous acts. The problem here is that the brakes were never put on. It started years ago in Joseph and his brother's relationship and started off that they just couldn't speak peaceably with each other. They were always getting in fights. They were always getting in arguments. 
but it was never repented of. It was never checked. And it just continued to grow to the place where as adults, they are really ready to kill them. If there are issues in our homes, if there are things that need to be repented of, if we haven't been the parents or the children or the husband or the wife that we ought to be, we've got to deal with that. Because if we don't, it only gets worse. It only festers. It only grows. And it can result in the most heinous kinds of acts and relationships. Hopefully not murder. Hopefully not selling somebody into slavery. But we all know too many families in which there are family members that won't even talk to each other anymore. Won't set a foot in each other's house. Can't say a kind word. Certainly wouldn't have been celebrating Christmas together or Thanksgiving. There are husbands that walk away from their wives. There are wives that walk away from their husbands. And there are parents that disown their children and there are children that run away. And it's all extremely sad. Extremely sad. And it can happen in Christian homes. We need to be on guard. We need to pray. We need to ask God for His help. Let's pray.